What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Dreams going unfulfilled. Are you still letting fear stop you from pursuing that business idea? Well, all that stops today. I'm Shawnee Sanders, host of the Girl Take No podcast, a podcast for ambitious women looking to ditch their nine to five and take the leap into entrepreneurship. Each week, you will learn the mindset, methods, and actionable steps other successful entrepreneurs took to make the shift from full-time employee to full-time entrepreneur and live the life they always dreamed of. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey there, my GTN listeners. Welcome to episode four of our series, Trailblazing Women, Exceptional Stories of Female Leaders, sponsored by Miss Wit. Today, we're diving deep into a unique blend of professional powers and personal growth. Our spotlight shines on Katarina Polanski, a high-performance relationship coach and a gender-dynamic social scientist. With a master's from Oxford and roles at Mind Gym and Better Up, Katarina has a rich tapestry of experiences from overcoming personal challenges to mastering the art of relationships. Katarina combines behavioral science, coaching, and mindfulness to help successful individuals excel in their personal lives as well as their careers. She's here to share her transformative 90-day program and insights on balancing professional success with personal fulfillment. Get ready for an episode that bridges career achievement with relationship success. Let's welcome Katarina Polanski, Trailblazing Women, Exceptional Stories of Female Leaders. Hey, Katarina, welcome to the Girl Techno Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation to talk about this topic with relationships, high achievers, and, you know, just, you know, and I think relationships are so important, not just in personal relationships, but as business relationships as well. I feel Mm -hmm. like if you can master your um, strategies and your tactics, I guess, in personal relationship, then that translate over into business relationships. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. They're all interlinked. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So before we kick things off, could you kind of um, tell us about, uh, share a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as a high achiever performance coach in gender dynamics, um, social sciences? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like multiple prongs to the story. So yeah. maybe I will start with I'll start with the gender angle. Yes. And I can probably trace this back to like growing up in Eastern Europe, which is <laughs> a very, very gendered society. And yeah, I grew up, it was actually like a little photograph of me in a little kind of like ballerina dress thing, holding so a teacup. Cute. I think I look like really irritated though. Like I don't think I want to be in it. And honestly, my my whole life, like, from moving to the UK and then doing ballet and then I went to a really good girls school. I've always been really aware of gender and what Mm -hmm. it means to be like, to be in a feminine, to be a feminine being in a woman's body and looking at, you know, I have a brother and my father and like going to a girls school is very informative. It was, it was really interesting. There were so many different types of femininity and it is, I kind of got really curious about it, I think from literally the age of like 12. Mm -hmm. And I remember in my English literature class, like always being drawn to studying the masculine figures, the feminine, trying to understand the differences. And I remember at one point studying communication between the two genders. And I remember saying at the age of 16 to my favorite teacher saying, like, mark my words, I'm going to study this at uni. And she kind of laughed and she was like, you're 16. Like, what do you know? And (laughs) And then I went to uni and I studied um, a very different topic. I did like American history, philosophy and economics with English Mm -hmm. literature, like very random. But within that, I actually studied the civil rights movements and I was really interested in intersectionality. And I went on to do my thesis on masculinity. Mm -hmm. And so, and and specifically, I was looking at like white male blue collar masculinity because I was really curious about like that demographic with one of the writers I was really into. And and looking at kind of, yeah, like the the limitations of that gender construct. Mm-hmm. I can talk about this for days. But anyhow, <laughs> so then I, I studied that, left, went on to, you know, work in a very different career. And then probably six years later, I was living in Dubai in the Middle East. Oh, Dubai. And yeah, I was living out there and really 
didn't <laughs> enjoy being out there. I know there's a lot of people really? there right now. Yeah, I, I did not like it. I again, it was like a long time ago. Was, you know, over yeah. ten years ago. And but being there as a single blonde Eastern European female, it didn't go well for me. Like I just back then, I might be very different now. Yeah, I remember feeling very uncomfortable in so many situations and again just being very aware that being you know in a feminine kind of being a feminine being Mm -hmm. isn't safe here yeah and and so that got me then curious to look around that got me curious around again gender again but I think what really piqued my curiosity because I was it wasn't like I was unfamiliar with feeling unsafe as a woman right yeah yeah but it was really actually looking around and seeing the different hierarchies of masculinity out there and recognizing, okay, well, intersectionality comes to a different whole new level here because actually there are so many different races that I'm seeing in Dubai Mm -hmm. and such a hierarchy when I look at like the labor systems and it just broke my heart. Like it honestly broke my heart. I found it really disturbing. I actually became very depressed living out there. And that's when I decided I've had enough. I'm going to go back to university. I'm going to study this in depth. And I'm probably going to go work in, you know, international aid work or charity sector or something. I really want to do something about this. I, like I believe in justice and, and human rights and equality. And so that's what led me to then go back to university. I went to Oxford and I did a degree in women's studies. That was like the mm-hmm. title there. And so I studied um, intersectional feminism. But I, again, kind of looked at masculinity as well as femininity. And so yeah. that's kind of where I bolstered my academic work and after that I did work in philanthropy for a little bit and then that kind of led me over a few years to work in behavioral science where I specialized in diversity equity and inclusion so DE&I is kind of where I've landed from a corporate mm-hmm. perspective and I mean I, I love diversity equity and inclusion it has its own issues <laughs> as a <laughs> so tired but it's got yeah it's got its own stuff yeah but that's I'm sure. kind of where the gender dynamics angle is mm-hmm. um, and then parallel to that I so I grew up in a very coaching environment my my dad is now a coach um back, oh, back awesome. when I was growing up yeah awesome now back then <laughs> I resisted it like oh my god like my, my dad being a coach he, he put me through right like you resist your parents at least I resist my parents it is like what is that anyway when <laughs> you exactly. said back then right Exactly. And like, I remember he, he gave me all the books, like the Tony Robbins books and all mm-hmm. the different, you know, self-help books. And I was like reading them and reading about the secret. And then he put me through my first ever coaching qualification, my NLP, when I was 17, which I actually, it changed my life. You know, I was wow, a 17 okay. year old. Yeah, I was 17. I'd actually been suffering from anorexia. So mm-hmm. I wasn't very well. Again, another symptom of toxic femininity. Um and I did my NLP qualification. I remember being like, it was like a really intensive retreat where I did the qualification. I applied all the methodology. I basically like had to coach myself. Yeah. It was really powerful. And that's when I was like, okay, this coaching stuff is powerful. Like it's life-changing. And yeah, I went on to work in different spaces. Like I, you know, graduated and kind of forgot about coaching. But then when I came back to behavioral science and I was kind of back to being exposed around coaching, I was like, okay, this is really interesting stuff. And I like the one-on-one aspect. Mm-hmm. So then I eventually went to work for a really big coaching company thinking I'm going to do DE&I coaching. That didn't happen, but I did mm-hmm. end up deciding to leave and train to be a coach myself. Mm-hmm. And I played around with like, do I want to become a DNI coach? And then I was like, I think the truth is I'm going to burn out. I yeah. think I'm going to burn out doing that. I think it's such difficult work. And I don't know if I'm the right person to even do it. And mm-hmm. so... I just I started building my little coaching practice. There is a third prompt to this really long story. Sorry, but I started building my coaching practice. It's interesting and, though. Okay, cool. Thank you. And um, in the coaching practice, I basically started out by coaching founders because mm-hmm. of my days in philanthropy. I had a really big network of founders, so I was like, I'm going to yeah. go back to the founders of nonprofits, the the philanthropists. And as I was coaching the founders, I noticed a common theme, and pretty much every single person I was working with suffering from anxiety, burnout, stress, when I really drilled down into where is that coming from? Why is it that these incredibly smart, intelligent, ambitious, brilliant people are suffering from such loneliness, such anxiety? Mm -hmm. When I drilled down into it, I realized, oh, it's a relationships issue. 
they don't mm. have a strong relationship to themselves because they've self-abandoned in the pursuit of their ambition. And in the process, they don't actually have many healthy relationships around them, let alone a healthy intimate relationship. Mm. And so that's kind of what made me think, okay, well, there's something going on here. And so I kind of merged the two, the gender dynamics work, the kind of the emphasis on like equality and inclusion with working with this demographic. And now I'm a relationship coach. And the final prong I'll say is throughout all of this, I was knee deep in studying the topic because I myself was previously engaged mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to get married. I had the wedding planned. I had everything. I had all my ducks in a row, but it was the wrong person completely. And in the process of kind of realizing it's the wrong person, I myself was doing a lot of coaching, a lot of like relationship therapy, relationship counseling, marital counseling with him. Yeah. Like just really studying and trying to understand how is it that here I am, someone who's got my life pretty much together. You know, I love my job. I have a nice home. I lived in Canada at the time. Mm-hmm. How is it that I don't feel happy in this relationship and I can't tell why? I don't think he's happy in the relationship. And yet, you know, we look picture perfect. We look like we should be together. Our yeah. Instagram's lovely. Everyone yeah. thinks we're great. But I can tell that there's something wrong. And it took a lot of coaching and figuring it out, like a lot of figuring it out. Yeah. I was very lucky that I worked in behavioral science and had a lot of money to throw at this. So very well paid. But eventually, I basically, yeah, I ended up calling off the engagement, going knee deep into trying to figure it out myself mm-hmm. when I was single in my 30s and just like, you know, I, I don't want to be dying alone. I want to figure yeah. this out. Yeah. And, of course. Um, and in the process, I was very lucky that I actually, yeah, I went on to meet my now husband. And I think one of the main takeaways with that was I met him after I did. 11 months of really intense work, like really, 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 like now there's 11 months of my kind of spiritual journey, trying to figure it out is what makes up my system. Mm -hmm. Um, But in any case, I think my final kind of point was that everything that led me to him was not the stuff that led me to my ex. And that's what really made me realize like, okay, I'm a high achiever. I consider myself very ambitious and very go-getting. Mm-hmm. I consider myself someone to have my life pretty much figured out. And yet I didn't get it right the first time. My clients haven't necessarily got it right the first time. And when I distill it, I'm like, there are common themes here of where we're getting in our own way without realizing we're getting in our own way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it makes plenty. It's almost like you don't know what you don't know. You know exactly. what I mean? In terms, you know, in speaking of, you know, the work that you did with a lot of the CEOs and founders, mm. do you find that we, it, the disconnect in terms of like, we're not understanding why we don't have good, why we can't build good relationships and don't have good relationships? Do you find that, hey, it really stems from childhood? Like maybe, I feel like either a lot of people haven't seen a good relationship while they were children or either saw disruptive relationships and so we base our patterns off what we what we see and kind of almost what we're taught in the home. And so we grow up in this way of like, well, this is what I know how relationships to be. And then I attract those same kind of people that I have either turmoil with or just not good people for me because I feel like either I'm trying to fill a void or it's just because I did not have a good representation. Did you find that a lot of that goes back to their childhood? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. That's kind of like, Mm-hmm. you know, module one of the work with me. It's like, let's take a look. I'm, and I, I'm not a therapist. Like I'm not going to yeah, yeah. you know, dig through your childhood. There's no need for that. But absolutely, like the patterns are so clear to draw. And I think what I, what I find really interesting is how, because like high achievers or, you know, successful executives, what I want to call them, most people have probably done some therapy, right? Most people have probably mm-hmm. done some therapy. They probably have some awareness of childhood patterns. And what I find, and I had the same thing, they come with this kind of a, this lens of like, well, I've done some therapy. I've done the work. I know the patterns. So this can't be affecting my relationships. Like I've done the work. Mm-hmm. And I was like that too. And I hear this with so many of my clients of like, but I've done this. I've done this already. It can't be that. And yeah. it's like, but it might be that. And it might be that we're looking at things in a slightly skewed way. Like, it's a very different practice to know something intellectually 
And to be able to look Mm -hmm. at your patterns and your childhood patterns and see them rationally, logically, intellectually in a very different practice to embody the transformation of those patterns into something healthy that allows for growth. And it's the embodiment piece that I see the high achieving execs struggling with because by very nature of being high achieving and successful, we're often disembodied because Mm. being embodied as a successful executive it doesn't really work like yeah do you know what I mean like if we're actually going to be embodied on a day-to-day basis we're probably not going to be hardcore high achieving successful executives (laughs) because it's not normal to be working so hard or traveling around the world or living on a plane or jumping from meeting to meeting and I you know and I do this myself like I have back to back to back calls and I'm very aware I'm like okay I need to actually get back into what I teach <laughs> and not yeah. drift yeah. into the you know the hardcore high achiever headspace so it's very different to know something rationally and and to live it yeah yeah it is wow this is this is such fascinating you know like <laughs> to understand it in terms of like you know, how you process relationships. I and mean, like you say, high achievers, they're always so busy. That's why people always wonder women who are truly high achievers, really successful and why they have hard times when maintaining relationships. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's always that question of well, why this person, they're such a great person they accomplish all this great stuff, but they don't have, they can't maintain good relationships. Yeah. Not even sometimes personal, um, romantic, and it's hard for them to maintain those relationships. So you always wonder what that is. Yeah. And that, I'm glad you raised that because that's a really interesting point. And again, something I used to mm-hmm. do for sure. Mm-hmm. You probably still do. <laughs> sure my husband would be like, you still do this, cat. Um, but there is, this is kind of where the gender dynamic stuff is really interesting. Yeah. I think we've all heard, right, of the high powered, smart, successful female executive or female founder who. Mm-hmm we live in a masculine world, right? Like we live in, I mean, capitalism is a masculine yeah. energy. Like let's not beat mm-hmm. out the bush. Like to to go and create and to build and to do all of this kind of capitalist energy, it is a masculine practice. And so I think it's not news to anyone that if we want to succeed, quote unquote, in the modern day world professionally, there has to be, quote unquote, some kind of masculine energy behind it. Now, there yeah. are, you know, 100%. right? Yeah, like it, that's kind of the most common thing. Yes, there are more feminine mm-hmm. leaders coming out and there's kind of more feminine leadership and like massive round of applause to that. That being said, that's probably in the minority still. I would argue that most <laughs> leaders, even the very most like kind of the feminine leadership types out there, they still mm-hmm. have to be in their masculine if they want to go out and start building and creating and I mean, literally, I hate to say it, but like penetrating the male world out there, like making themselves yeah. known, right? It's a masculine energy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so what I find is, and this is where it gets really interesting, these kind of like high-achieving, high-powered women, when I work with them, the narrative that I hear, and I used to say the same thing, is, well, whoever I date or whoever I'm in a relationship with has to be more masculine than I am. So they have to be more mm-hmm. high-powered, earning more money, have more achievements more success more assets more homes whatever it might be have more of a career because they have to like out masculine me and again I used to be like that when I look at my criteria of who I thought I'd end up with I was like I remember saying to my mom actually after I pulled off with my ex-fiance I was like I'm only going to date millionaires from now. I'm like, what a stupid thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of women think that way too. So stupid. But you're right. It's so unrealistic. Right. And just like how, like, what a dumb thing. Anyway, but my my headspace was like, no, like, because actually when I look back at my previous engagement, like, yeah, I think I did like out masculine my partner in many ways. And I don't think it worked Mm -hmm. and it led to infidelity and that wasn't healthy. And so my my vow was like, well, I have to be with someone who's, you know, an alpha, quote unquote, or like someone who's more masculine and more dominant and someone who can lead me. And this is why a lot of women end up dating men who are so much older or dating kind of paternal yeah. figures, right? And yep. it's very normal. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right fit because what happens mm-hmm. then is what we're doing, we're taking their kind of superficial masculinity. There's like, 
kind of superficial mm-hmm. and, and deep masculinity as a proxy for their personality. And there's this idea that like, well, you know, if, they, if they've got money and status and power, they're somehow more masculine and therefore they're somehow a good match for me. It's completely flawed because actually, if you're a high achieving, high powered woman who wants to be ambitious and create and build and, and leave a legacy on the planet, then the reality is you actually probably need quite a feminist man who's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, advanced, modern, with his wits about him, who's going to support you and respect yeah. you and allow you to create and not get jealous and not get intimidated. And that's not going to be the superficial masculine, which actually, if we really break down that superficial masculine of that big alpha breadwinner, there's a lot of toxic masculinity traits in that. Oh, yeah. Right? A lot of them. And so, mm-hmm. Control. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, and I mean, I had this with one of my exes too, when I was like, oh, I really want like a, you know, dominant older man. And in the end, I was like, well, I became his assistant. And I was like, well, this doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And or either they treat you like their child. Absolutely. Yeah, you know? exactly. That paternalistic dynamic. And so it's this kind of really flawed dynamic where, yeah, you get really smart, wonderful women looking for even more smart, wonderful men, but actually they end up dating men who, frankly, are in the toxic masculinity space. And they completely mm-hmm. miss the men who have a more healthy, integrated masculine, which actually manifests as more of a feminist energy, if, if I dare mm-hmm. say that word. I know that word's been like butchered by everyone. But what I'm talking <laughs> about is a more like <laughs> modern lens, right? Yeah. But that healthy masculinity, like that's harder. There's no like external proxy for that. A healthy masculine man can be very wealthy or not very wealthy at all. Like money is not a good mm-hmm. indicator of that. It's more about yeah. how does he conduct his life? How much integrity does mm-hmm. he have? How stable is mm-hmm. he? How secure is he? How much consciousness does he bring to every interaction? Can you trust him? These are yeah. the things to look at for a healthy masculine, right? Not like yeah. money and job and how many exits has he has had. Yeah. You know, and that's so, this is so true that I think with, with the age of social media, it gets so people view and perspective of what a man should be is so diluted Mm. because everyone thinks it has to be that guy with money. Everyone thinks it has to be this guy on this certain level. And it's so funny because I have a lot of my friends who are single and over 40 and I, we talk about this all the time. And I'm like, I feel like women are going for this. A lot of women are going for the same type of Mm -hmm. man, which is why they feel like, Oh, there's no men out there. And I'm like, there are men out there. You're just looking for this, like you say, high earner, this high achiever, this person who got to have way more than you coming in. Yeah. Instead of looking at a man's true character, one who is hardworking, who's like you said, who's going to be honest and loyal, has integrity. It's, it's just, and I just feel like social media has a lot to attribute to that. hundred percent. No, you're spot on. And I'm glad that you actually said social media. Cause I think that's one of the things I talk about a lot is how like pop culture, the kind of the popular narratives out there, they mm-hmm. oversimplify everything. You know, I think we all know that toxic masculinity is a bad thing now. No yeah. one's really talking about toxic femininity though. And toxic femininity is the very same energy that's actually perpetuating this idea that, well, I need like the alpha breadwinning, mm-hmm. you know, high earning dude. And no one's saying you can't have that, but that shouldn't be the main thing, right? Like as you said, exactly. values are much more important much more important mm-hmm. and there where the true well, core yeah. and the essence of that human being is yes yeah. that's what's truly important you know let me ask you this because i think it's fascinating that you lived and worked in like six different countries mm-hmm. and so how do you think those experiences shape your views on um, relationships and personal growth mm, that's a really good question and i think it humbled me because i think i went in like growing up in the, you know, I, I was educated in the UK and mm-hmm. I had very traditional ideas of mask. I actually look back at who I was when I was like 21 and how I behaved mm-hmm. with some exes. And I'm like, God, I didn't think I even like myself. And I, I don't say that in a horrible way, but more of a, I think I was really naive. I think I had a lot yeah. of ideas of, yeah, like kind of toxic femininity, like princessy ideas of, well, this is how a man should be because I grew up in a quite a privileged UK town went to a really Mm -hmm. good girls school you know I went to a good university and so what I saw was like one model of it and the narratives that I got Mm -hmm. was like one model of it and it was actually like I mean living in Spain I didn't really get that narrative challenged much but I think it was just all the different actually if anything I'd say studying it really humbled me Mm -hmm. and gave me a new perspective 
But living in Canada was certainly very eye-opening because I remember coming across male friends who, it was in Vancouver in the West Coast, like male mm-hmm. friends who I made that were seemed almost like very feminine in the way that they approached emotions and their vulnerability and sensibility. Mm-hmm. And I remember, again, I think probably in 2018 when I moved out there, there was a bit of resistance to it and a bit of like, oh, I don't know about this. But now I can't imagine not being with that, right? And it, it's no coincidence that my, my partner's Canadian, but I definitely got a more nuanced, I think a softer, softer version. I think as I'm thinking through, thinking through this, it's almost like in seeing all the different cultures and all the different religions and ways of being that I expose myself to, I realized the common denominator was humanity. And mm. like my favorite book is called Written on the Body by Jeanette Winterson. Mm-hmm. And the whole book is about a narrator and their experience of love. And you don't actually know the gender of the narrator. And you don't even realize you don't know the gender of the narrator until the end of the book when someone says, by the way, there's no gender of the narrator. And you're like, what? (laughs) And the whole point is that at the end of the day, we're all human and we all have Mm -hmm. masculine and feminine parts to ourselves. We're all integrated, whole human beings who have the same emotion, same emotions, the same fears, right? The same desires fundamentally. Like, yeah, all these constructs are, I don't know, they're kind of fallible. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, because you you lived in so many different places, like it had to, and so many so many different ways that people interact, men, the hierarchy, as you said. So I know it had to have some effect on personally on your personal growth and just how it influenced you. Yeah. And another thing I thought is interesting is that, <clears throat> as you said, I'm sorry, I had to clear my throat. My throat is bothering me. You like you said, you've been through some, you battled some real challenges, mm-hmm. anorexia calling off your engagement to someone you thought was for you, but realized that this wasn't the one for me. So how do those experiences um, influence the way you approach coaching? Mm. That's a really lovely question. And I, I think if I actually hadn't had those experiences, I, I wouldn't be a coach. Right. Because I think yeah. like if I would never, <laughs> no offense to coaches out there, but like, I wouldn't go into coaching thinking I'm going to go make a million pounds. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know there are some coaches who yell from the rooftops about making tons of money but it's never something that I would come at you know as a a professional choice like the coaching really came from a place of service and when I first learned about coaching and I started practicing the coaching it came from a place of well you know I was 17 (laughs) I'd had anorexia Mm -hmm. I hadn't even been to uni yet I had no idea about the corporate world and I just thought well I want to serve people I want to help I want to help and now later in life it's really come from a place of I mean really the context to it was just to add another whole thing to the mix my dad lives in Ukraine so when Mm -hmm. I'd called off my engagement and then I was in Canada for the Christmas like trying to kind of it was a few months into being single again and like my whole world had just collapsed like I I think it was the darkest point of my life I truly like didn't know what to think what to do I was in my 30s and I was like oh Christ I do I have to go back to scratch now I can't do mm-hmm. this and I had all my money was tied up in a, in a property with him and I couldn't sell it and I, it was COVID so I couldn't even go back to the UK to be with my family yeah yeah awful and and then just as I was kind of climbing out of a deep depression and my apartment flooded as well it was like forty thousand dollars of damages it was just awful but as I climbed out of a depression and I had, I think I had about two weeks of feeling pretty good about life. And then Ukraine war started and my dad lives in Ukraine. And that was like, I've never felt so much fear in my life because I mm. hand on my heart. I thought there was going to be a nuclear holocaust. I was prepared oh, wow. for everything just to end. And I was following the war 24 seven. And like my dad was on the yeah. crying his eyes out. He was a refugee at one point when all of that kind of happened and on the back of the engagement ending, I just was like, what is the point? Because yeah. in my head, I was like, I actually don't know how long we have left to live. Like, truly, I, I thought, I honestly thought we were all going to die. And I was like, I don't know wow. what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's when I was like, well, why would I be doing corporate? Like, not that I, you know, I like my corporate job, but I was like, I don't know if I'd be doing this in my last week of being alive. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just had this really big epiphany and so I came back to the UK and I relocated back to the UK and I started working for another corporation and again I was making 
great money living in Kensington and everything looked picture perfect but I was just like this all feels hollow and I don't know why I'm doing it Mm -hmm. and I think I have a lot of grief that I need to process and kind of transmute through my body and does life look very different and so as I kind of came out of that and then went on to meet my my partner what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co that's when I was like well I don't really know what I want to do in my life actually anymore yeah I know I don't want to go back into working for a corporate. I know I don't want to go work for a tech company right now. So yeah. I'm just going to go and help people and probably help people who have gone through a similar process. Because, you know, at this point I was like, well, I've, I'm very lucky. I met my husband like 11 months after calling off my engagement. Like that's rapid fire time. That is. <laughs> Super fast, right? And <laughs> we call that a win. Absolute win. And I'm so <laughs> lucky because I actually think had all of this stuff not happened, all of this hardship, I probably wouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. so much therapy. I wouldn't be doing so much coaching. I wouldn't have been like, right, I'm going to prioritize my healing. I would have just kind of, you know, got on with it. So I'm actually very lucky. But in any case, it just made me think, I just want to help people and serve. And like, really, what more is there to life than helping people, especially helping people through what we've been through, right? Because we know it well. I think when you lead with a heart for service, that's how you know you're and success just automatically comes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because your heart is in service mode where you're like, I really want to help someone. Mm-hmm. And I love the story you told when it comes to because I always ask entrepreneurs, when did you take that leap? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the time that leap into entrepreneurship and you kind of just kind of told your whole story there. And because I tell people all the time, some people leaps are intentional. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people leaps who are unintentional yeah. and the unintentional are people who get divorced and husband leaves them with nothing to have to fight or figure it out or get laid off. I get fired from a job. And then they're like, Hey, I've been wanting to do something. I feel like now this is my opportunity to do so. So your leap was so amazing because you're like, you know what? I don't want to go back to corporate and do this anymore. Cause I don't love it. I'm not emotionally connected to it anymore. It's not really fulfilling. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I want to do something that help people. Yeah. Where I know I'm giving back and I'm helping people get through some of overcome some of the things that you overcome too. I love that. Absolutely. And there was also like this very kind of real, because like when I met my husband, he was in Canada. I was back in the UK. We were long distance Mm -hmm. for three months. And there was also this kind of feeling of, okay, well, if I stay in the UK, then he's not going to come here. He can't come here because we're not, we weren't married at the time. We were just dating. So I was like, he can't come here. I don't want to move all the way back to Canada after having just moved there, moved back from there like six months ago. I was like, I physically can't. And that's when it was like, well, why don't we just maybe take both take a sabbatical and travel, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of country hop and dodge borders for a little bit and see if we want to be together. And I think I lasted about two weeks of my sabbatical before I was like, I, I want to do something. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to train to be a coach and I'm going to just start building a little coaching business. And, and then it kind of all snowballed from there. If someone had told me a year ago that I'm going to be a full-time coach, I would have laughed. I would have been like, like, what are you saying? (laughs) I know. Because it's like at one point you're like, no, I got this job. It's paying well. This is what I'm doing. Like you can't even imagine it because it was the same thing for me. Yeah. When it comes, let me ask you this, when it comes to high achievers, like executive and, you know, business um, mm-hmm. owners and founders, what do you think are some of the unique relationship hurdles that they face mm-hmm. most? Really good question. And I think we touched on one earlier, this kind mm-hmm. of projection of what they expect from gender perspective. Yeah. And that's not unique to high achievers, but I think... What I see a lot of is, you know, either high, very high powered men who are very ambitious, very driven, very successful. They're traveling all the time, but they still want a family. And so in order to get that, they have a stay at home wife. And so that yeah. stay at home wife, she's either traveling with them and therefore has to give up her own career. Well, they think she has to give up her own career. I'm a big advocate mm-hmm. that she doesn't. But the kind of the narrative is she'll probably be younger because I'm now old and, you know, I've been building my company. She'll be younger, she'll probably mm-hmm. stay home and she'll probably raise the kids and I'm going to be the breadwinner and I'm going to be the absent one and she can stay home. And yeah. the problem with that that I see is it's not that likely she's going to be very intellectually fulfilling for you, right? And it's mm-hmm. also not that likely that she's going to enjoy your lifestyle when you're traveling around all over the world and she, poor thing, is stuck at home. 
So let's actually reevaluate that strategy and think about what would it look like to date someone who maybe works remotely and can travel with you and can contribute mm-hmm. to the household income to take the pressure off you and maybe even collaborate with you and ideate and actually join your business. Who knows? And so that's kind of one limitation I see. And then with women, it's the same one we talked about earlier of wanting to date like yeah. ultra alpha and either never being able to find anyone that's more successful than them. I see that. I'm like, mm-hmm. just no one I meet is my match. It's really lonely at the top. Like a lot of women are yeah. really lonely at the top. Um, yeah. Completely missing the phenomenal men around them. I have, I've, I've run into some women who they have such strict criteria around the salary the man needs to have and the status and the schooling. And it's like, I get it. I used to do the same yeah. thing. My husband doesn't tick any of those boxes, but he's utterly what I need right like he's exactly what my heart needs I just didn't know it back Mm -hmm. then so that's one thing and then I think the other the other struggles I see a lot of is this by way of being high achieving and kind of go-getting that stems from a often stems from a kind of anxious childhood of needing to prove something to the family because of a lot of responsibility and pressure right like I can relate to that um a lot of my clients have that and so that desire to prove, that desire to achieve, that desire to kind of perform is rooted in a, a low self-worth and like not believing that you're worthy by just way of being, existing. And so that kind of low self-esteem often leads a lot of really brilliant, brilliant minds to stay in relationships that aren't very good for them because they're afraid of rocking the boat and they're afraid of leaving and they're afraid they won't find anyone. There's a big mm-hmm. fear of failure of like, you know, I'm 39 or I'm 40 plus and I haven't got kids yet. And I'm in this relationship that I'm not happy in with this person who I don't think is the right one for me, but I'm too scared to leave because what does that mean? I'm back. Yeah. Again, I can relate to that. It's that like intense pressure and perfectionism. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then often a, a real tendency to like lean in and do all the work because you know they're letting the partner off the hook again because they're a high achiever they're like well I'm just going to fix it I'm going to take all the responsibility and I'm going to fix it and if the partner's not actually doing anything then it's like well hold on it's a two it's a two-way street but again high achievers will often do all the work that's just kind of like a handful that come to mind um yeah yeah um, and like I said because we always see so many women at the top and you're right a lot of women have a long list yeah that they want men to have and it's just so unrealistic. Not even women I've met that is not even high achievers, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, Katarina. Mm-hmm. And they have like a long list of what this man yeah. must have. And and I'm like, well, that's the reason why you don't have anybody because the person that's on this list is doesn't even really exist because Absolutely. people come with their own issues. People, we are human, like you said. Absolutely. So we have to be able to kind of get rid of so when a client comes to you especially one with a list what do you tell them to do with that list i'm like do you tear up the list tear up the list exactly (laughs) no let's throw that away i know but 100 though because i remember my my coach actually um my my older coach she was just like you shouldn't say this in your marketing like people don't want to hear it and i was like but it's true and the the message which i am going to say here so please don't hate me but the message is like often what we think we want isn't what we actually need right Mm -hmm. and like by that I mean I had my list and I'm not even joking my first fiance ticked every single freaking box like every Mm -hmm. box I remember like I actually like gleefully would look back at my list and I was like wow I manifested this this is exactly what I wanted and like wow manifestation yeah I was like the secret great and I mean it did tick all my boxes like literally from like the height the university the look like the family the the work and everything all kind of the external stuff and a lot of like the values and personality there too but what I really missed and what I what I have now is back then I wasn't being honest with myself about who Mm -hmm. I am deep down in my core I thought I was being honest with myself back then but I didn't know myself back then the way that I know myself now and what I thought I needed was certainly not what I needed. And now, yes. having done so much inner work, which really was fueled by that breakup and fueled by me being like, holy cow, where did I go wrong with this? Now mm-hmm. that I'm so clear on like what I need to live a happy and fruitful life, and when I got that clarity, 
that's when everything else, all kind of the external list items like fell away because suddenly I was actually down to like five core needs, like really simple, five things that I really need. And the rest I knew I'd figure it out. And that's when, I mean, my husband tells the story to everyone, but like we met at a dance floor at a music festival and it was, I say it was dark. He says it was light, light. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was quite (laughs) inebriated, but he, he he like tapped me on the shoulder (laughs) He had sunglasses on. I didn't know what the hell he looked like. And I remember just turning around and feeling the energy. Mm-hmm. And I like threw my arms around his neck and like gave him a big hug. And, you know, I was really enthusiastic. And then we went on and just, we like danced together. And I barely knew anything about him, but I remember just feeling in his presence, feeling safe, a little yes. bit excited and like, huh, okay, this is kind of cool. And then got his yeah. details. And, you know, over time we had like three dates before we went on to be long distance, but I knew pretty much by date three in the con in like the conversations that we'd had, which were pretty deep and intense for you know three dates. But I knew that from a needs perspective, I was like, oh, he really gets me. He really gets who I am and what I need. And on the exterior level, we were very different. Like mm-hmm. so many of my external things that I wanted to tick off he didn't and doesn't tick off because again mm-hmm. they were like proxies for what I thought I needed yes right so, yes yeah we we live that way because I I tell people all the time my husband is not my typical guy that I would normally do yes yeah. yeah yeah he really isn't and you're right it's like I had a list I didn't have much on my list I just had a few things but I'm like he didn't really like meet the criteria yeah you know what I mean? But we share so many different values when it comes to family, you know, and so certain things attracted me to him. But I tell women all the time, I tell friends, I'm like, listen, a lot of times that guy that you so used to dating this one particular type of guy, that's normally not the guy you're going to yeah. end up with. And if you end up with that guy, that's because you actually chose to, because I, I don't know what it is. I was talking to a friend the other day, Katarina, mm-hmm. I think. And she said something to me that I think was kind of like eye opening. I said, I don't know what that is that what we do as humans where we know something is not good for us, but yet we continuously date that same type Mm -hmm. of guy, knowing how is the outcome, what it's going to be the same trace. And she said that, you know what, I think is something in us that I guess is hopeful. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it is hope. I don't know, but we continue to date that person because maybe we're hoping that this person would be who we exactly want them yeah. to be or who yeah. we think they're going to be. And I just don't understand why we do that. We repeat the same habits, you know, the whole definition of insanity and thinking that it's going to be a different outcome. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I kind of there, it's like, is it maybe partly like the subconscious mind drawing in the very thing that we need to see and, you know, be repelled by and have that awareness? But I wonder less actually yeah. that. And I'm curious if it's maybe just we get stubborn. Like, I think I just want yeah, stubborn, that's right? true. I think I just, I think when I was single, I felt so defeated and so tired mm-hmm. and like just discouraged by everything. And I didn't have the support and resources to really dig deep and find out what it is that I need. Like, I had it eventually, but for a long time, I yeah. didn't know what I needed. And so I just didn't know any better, I think. And also, yeah. sorry, I, yeah, go on. No, I, I think you're right. I think it has a lot with that. We don't know yeah. any better because we're used to a certain thing and we don't know there's something better Absolutely. out there. You know what I mean? So we are so used to a certain way of treatment where it's like, and then when you do get something that's different, and I notice this too, when you when, you, when we get something that's different, it becomes like, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't want this. You know, the man that's overly attentive and, you know, because we always say, oh, I want somebody that's going to be into me, yeah. someone that, you know, just takes me out and do all this stuff. And then you meet that guy, but because physically he doesn't look like the way you thought he should, but he's giving you everything you ask for, then it becomes, oh, no, he's weird. It's that uh-huh. he, he's giving me a weird energy. Exactly, exactly. I've heard this. No, you're spot on. And I actually, you know, something really interesting and like really dark, actually. I talked to um mm-hmm. one like behavioral scientist and she was saying how a lot of like dating relationship coaches don't want to work with women after the age of 42 and I was like why that sounds Mm. absolutely awful because I've got clients in their 40s and 30s and whatever and she was like well it's because 
you know, after the age of 42, a lot of women are very stuck in their own biases of what they want and what they're addicted to. Yeah. Because on yep. a nervous system level, they're used to being treated badly. They're used to the drama mm-hmm. and the kind of the yo-yo of emotions of like hot, cold and all that stress. That actually when they meet someone who's very secure, it's very unfamiliar to them. And I mean, I would argue probably not even yes. 40s. I think it's like happens in their 30s too, right? Like if we don't know what stability and security and safety looks like within our own nervous systems because we don't give it to ourselves – right Mm -hmm. then because maybe we're in a toxic job and we don't give ourselves any time out we don't have a therapist and we don't have a coach and all that stuff then yeah when we encounter someone who's actually healthy it's probably going to be quite boring that's what I tell my clients I'm like healthy secure dating should be like a six to an eight out of ten if you're feeling a nine Mm -hmm. or a ten out of ten something's off like it shouldn't be that yeah fireworksy like again when I met my husband there was like mini fireworks, but I was still like, I still <laughs> slept at night and ate my food. You know, I was I wasn't like yes. losing my mind. It's, yes, I think people have a the expectation of thinking like, oh, I'm supposed to feel butterflies, and you know, I'm supposed to feel this, and you're like, not no. necessarily, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you like the person, you think something's interesting about them, but. I can honestly say that I didn't get any butterflies mm. when I met my husband. I didn't even think I would even marry him, to be yeah. honest with you. Like, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking on that. I was just, oh, it seemed like he's fun. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go out with him. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But, and then, it, and here we are, married yeah. six years. No, exactly. That's amazing. And that's amazing. <laughs> and I think you're spot on, right? And I think that's when, if we think about like social media and the pop culture, that's where a lot of the toxic mm-hmm. narratives of like, if you're not feeling that spark, yes. no spark means, you know, it's a no go. Where I'm like, but the spark is often actually like a horrible Freudian trigger that just is a, it's like trauma bonding. <laughs> don't go there. You don't want that. You want to feel safe, stable, calm, peaceful, relaxed, a bit curious, maybe a little bit excited, maybe Ex- one butterfly floating around in there, but nothing wild, right? And again, I think that's why yeah. we get women often get stuck in that drama of like chasing the same kind of guy who's not the wrong, right one for them, but they tick the boxes and they feel exciting. Yeah. There it is, the ticking of the mm-hmm. boxes. Let me ask you, how do you, um, how do you coach a high achiever on balancing their career and trying to have a fulfilling personal life? How do you coach that person on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And the simplest way of kind of putting, I mean, everything's obviously case specific, but the simplest mm-hmm. way of thinking about it is like intentionality. and Yes. Right. It really is just about intentionality. Like, for example, it's, you know, nearly 8 p.m. I have another call after this. I'm going to be done at nine today. And I was done at nine yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to be done at like nine tomorrow. And I was work like, I work crazy hours right now. But my husband and I were very intentional with the time that we have together. Like, we, we prioritize, we know what are the things that we want to prioritize. We know how intentional to be with those certain things. We don't just kind of like Mm -hmm. float like two ships in the night. We're very specific about our engagements. And then we also, when things, you know, when things get really busy, we bring in different relationship tools and exercises that are like little hacks Mm -hmm. to strengthen their connection. So cut to the chase. You know, if there's any, if there's any kind of disconnect or any kind of tension or either of us are feeling anything's off, we're like quick to fix it quick to solve it and I'm just kind of talking about my own instance but it really does come down to intentionality and looking at okay well how many hours am I working how many hours am I present with that person getting clear on like what are our different needs and how can we meet each other's needs and be really intentional about coming together with the precious time that we have and discern what do we value what do we both need where are we both at and do we need a quick reconnect or are we actually okay like it's like very intentional that's kind of the best way I can yes. say it yeah, yeah I like that you know your 90-day coaching program sounds really amazing um can you give us like a little sneak peek in terms of like what's taught in that program and what you can person can expect out of yeah, it yeah I love that thank you for asking yeah so <laughs> this 90-day program is my 11 months condensed into 90 days And Mm -hmm. I've taken all of the behavioral science of attraction that I've learned 
and plugged it into this kind of one-on-one week by week engagement where really I'm holding your hand and walking you through it the same way that I wish someone had held my hand because I didn't have that I was you know scrambling around trying to get all the support that I could and so it's combined of like three key ingredients the first one is liberation so helping you liberate mm. yourself from your past from your limiting beliefs from the belief systems that hold you back from any patterns of self-sabotage from any emotional baggage any of the stuff that's keeping you stuck and often you won't even know what that is nature of being have having blind spots and so my job is to come and help you and like really clear that out to set you free so that's one of the key ingredients mm-hmm. the second one is behavioral science so like we've been talking about in this entire podcast there's so much rubbish out there in the world of dating and relationships that isn't helpful that keeps yeah. us further, like keeps us stuck again makes us trip up and actually attract the wrong things and be unattractive to the right things so yeah the, the, the second component is looking at the behavioral science of dating and relationships and really re-educating ourselves and everything that we know everything that we know from like gender dynamics to looking at the science and the psychology of dating and relationships to looking at our core needs to looking at attachment styles we do a lot of work on that that's kind of the second component Mm -hmm. and then the third component Mm -hmm. is integrity so having cleansed everything having got clear on who you are and what you need on the behavioral science on the gender dynamics piece how can we bring your whole life into integrity with who you are so that when you go out there and you are looking to meet people, dating and relationships isn't like a, another to-do list item. It's actually something that happens yeah. very organically and flows from just living your best life. Because really, that's kind of the main narrative that we get, right? Like, you'll find love when you're least expecting it or love will yeah. just come falling in love. And it's like, yes and no. Like, sure, you might find love when you're not expecting it. But if you're not living in integrity with yourself and who you are and what you need, that might not be the right love. Mm-hmm. So let's prioritize getting the integrity piece in and then allow the connections to unfold very organically. Because I hear a lot of fatigue with the apps and a lot of fatigue of like, I can't, you know, go on another date or whatever it is. So the third component is really that integrity piece. And we also look at the kind of like a bonus, but I think it's really important. I look at communication and I look at different communication scripts and best practices. That's something that I've I've truly been studying since I was like 14. Um, But looking at how can we communicate better, both in the early stages of meeting someone about like who we are, our boundaries, our expectations. How can we have the difficult conversations about like, do we want Mm -hmm. children or not? Do I want children or not? You know, what kind of lifestyle do I want to lead? Like what kind of ambition levels do I have in the early stages in the first three dates rather than coming to these things like, five months down the line, a year down the line. And also how do you navigate conflict? How do you navigate tensions? So it's kind of like a bonus um, week that I include there in the 90 days just because I think it's really important. But yeah. That's awesome. Is there any um, clients that come to mind that you could say, hey, this was like a really standout success story that you can share? I have one in mind, which I'm like, it is a success story, though it might sound a bit dark. I have, I have one client, a really, really dear client who, when he joined mm-hmm. the program, he was actually in a relationship and he okay. just wasn't sure if it was the right one for him. He, mm. yeah, he, he'd been with her for a couple of years and he really wants a family, he really wants kids. And, you know, he's kind of past 40 and he was just terrified of, well, I'm stuck because I'm not happy. And she doesn't want to work on the relationship with me. I do want to stay with her. I do want to marry her, but I also don't feel happy or safe with her. And I'm terrified of being single. So he's mm. kind of really stuck in this place. And yeah, he had his own kind of stuff around, you know, what it is to be a man and where he was at in life, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, in working together, I'm really happy to say that he did actually end up leaving that relationship. Um, and he's so much happier now. He's so much happier now. He's traveling the world. He's meeting phenomenal, interesting people. He actually met someone quite recently. Like we've stopped working together now, but he, he texted me to share the good news. And I just see him being much more comfortable and authentic and relaxed. And like, there's a glow to him and a spring in his step. And really that whole work 
that we had to do together, apart from kind of helping him get clear on like who he is and bring him into integrity with himself, was also helping him get over the fear of what it is to be single. Yeah. Because that was a really interesting thing. There was a lot of fear, which I do see a lot of, of being single and like, well, what happens if I do call this off? What happens if I do break up? Who am I going to be? And actually, if we can yeah. release that fear and set ourselves free and then get into integrity, then we can very quickly, as I did, you know, 11 months for me, meet the right person. So I would, that's the one kind of that comes to yeah. mind um, just because I talked to him today and it's like, yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, you touched on something that's so important is that fear, I think, is what truly holds us back from yes. a lot of things. And that fear of being single is such a strong fear mm-hmm. for people to... um to get yeah. rid of, to fight, yeah. you know, it's really something hard for them to do that. Can you share like maybe a small change that someone can do um, in their daily life that can lead them to more um, fulfilling relationships? Mm. Yeah, really good question. Small change, I would say is as you're going about your day to day, can you start to practice, I'm keeping it like really kind of basic and like and uh, first step here, but can you start to just notice your connection to yourself? Like, can mm-hmm. you start to drop down into your body a little bit more and start to connect with your heart, with your lower belly? Can you start to practice being a little bit more embodied? And can you start to ask yourself, like from the heart, what is, what is it that I really need right now? And just keep asking that question. Like throughout the day, every day, you know, just drop the energy from the head down into the heart, into the lower belly and keep asking yourself, like, what is it that I need right now? That question alone can transform everything because if you can get really, really honest and it might take a few days, it might take a few times of asking yourself if you're not used to it, but finding like, what is it I really need right now? You will get some really surprising answers. If you can listen to that and then follow through with it. Well, then you're building the muscle of self-trust. And if you build the muscle of self-trust, then your intuition will trust even more. Your nervous system will get even more calm. Your self-esteem will actually go up. The answers will come even more clearly. And then that's how you slowly begin to rework yourself into more integrity, greater integrity. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. You're right. I think asking yourself those tough questions and not being afraid to say the answer is such a key mm-hmm. thing in our lives because we're so afraid to admit what we truly yeah. want. Yeah. Like we really are because it goes against what we're actually yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, last question, because I know you have to go looking ahead. What future plans or goals do you see for yourself in your program? Yeah, great question. So 2024 is going to be the year that I launch a group coaching program. So I'm really excited about that. Mm. Co-ed. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be for all genders. And it really kind of came up from two things. One was wanting a more accessible, affordable option where I'm not constrained, you know, mm-hmm. doing lots of one-on-one and having to eventually raise my prices and blah, 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 but keeping something else like accessible. And then two, well, actually there's three things. Two, I'm a huge believer in peer learning. Some of the most impactful transformations that I've had have come from a group setting where actually I can ask a question or other people can ask a question and there's peer learning and there's that kind of loads of mirrors being held up to me and there's that community and support and hearing other people's experiences. So I'm a big fan of the the group accountability and and growth piece. But the three, and this is kind of the, the funny one, so many of my clients always say to me like, oh, Kat, you know, everything I learned on this program is so amazing. I only wish I could meet someone who's done the same work. That's when I was like, hmm, well, if I can start creating community of people who have done this inner work and they graduate, then, you know, by all means. (laughs) I know, right? Might as well turn into a day Exactly. Exactly. We have to go through the program (laughs) first and do the work. I know, right? You go through the program first, then you get on the Exactly. Because you can meet like-minded people together. Exactly. Yeah. This has been such a good show, Katarina. I'm so happy you came on the show. I'm so fascinated by your coaching program and the fact there's so much science behind it and so much that be that gender dynamics that I think a lot of us need to better understand and how it affects our relationships. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for coming on here. This was really awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I got to definitely have you back on the show for sure. (laughs) 
Oh, man. All right, guys. Listen, I am Shawnee Sanders. This is the Girl Techno Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Girl Techno Podcast. We really hope this episode gets you one step further in your dream of becoming an entrepreneur. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. Once you leave us a review, we will shout you out on our next episode. Now, in order to qualify for the shout out, all you have to do is leave a review, screenshot the review, Tag Girl Techno Podcast in your stories and you will get a shout out in our next episode. Until then, guys, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.